ZipRecruiter is a proud sponsor of Without Warning Podcast. Use code word WOW and search for jobs anytime, anywhere. The Lauren Agee case was hastily closed by authorities, but many questions remain. Come behind the curtain with private investigator Sheila Waisaki as she uncovers the truth about what happened to Lauren. This is Without Warning. Warning. The following episode contains details about sexual violence and elements that are graphic in nature. A lot happened in the last episode when you heard the beginning of Sheriff Patrick Ray's deposition. It is mind-blowing to me the things he couldn't remember such as if he had met Hannah Palmer or who she was. She is a key player in your investigation, and you can't remember her name or if you met her? His deposition has left me dumbfounded, as I'm sure it has done the same to many of you. The scary part is that we still have a whole second half of his deposition to listen to. So let's dive right back into it. Do you conduct any type of review with the investigators, detectives, and officers after they initiate their investigation and prior to its conclusion? Do we talk about it? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what did you discuss with Detective Taylor about this case? He had just told me about the statements that he had and uh, that he had talked to them and and talked to the uh, pathologist. This who, uh, he had talked to him and just things of that nature. I mean. Did you ever discuss anything that you'd heard about the case in the media or in the press? Oh, about the whole case from... Yes. Dan to now? <clears throat> yes. Oh, yes. yes. Tell me what your discussions were like with off- uh, Detective Taylor the, about the, the The majority uh, of uh, after the case, after all this, is the negative uh, things that has been put on uh, TV. Yes, we've discussed that multiple times. What did you say? What types of things would you say? There... Uh, this is what I've said from the very beginning, and it's what I've said in any press release I've done on it or anything else. If if Miss Smith had information about Lauren Agee's death that we did not know about, then she has never came to me or, to the, as far as I know, to the district attorney with any of that. And then if... So that's, that's the... And some of the things that were said and done during those interviews with those were one-sided things to make it look like something was wrong. Is that good enough for you? (laughs) I just wanted to know what you said. Did you ever have conversations with Jeremy Taylor about this case via text message? Mm, As in what? I mean, I don't know. Anything at all. Other than 
maybe if he got a subpoena or something on this, yeah, that he told me he had to go. And um, what telephone number did you use for those text message conversations? Uh, it could have been either one. It could have been my personal phone or my department phone. Have you had text conversations with anyone else about this case? No. Have not, you? Not to talk about nothing. Well, uh, no, not to, not to say anything. What about to say that you had a deposition today? No. Okay. Have you ever talked to your wife about this case? Yes. What did you say? What is the nature of your communication with your wife about this case? Uh, it makes me very angry. Why? Very angry. I'm sorry? Why is that? B because of the lies and the, the slant that has been put toward it uh, to, me, for me, to use my name like that. Yes. Make, very upsets me greatly that anybody here uh, that knows me uh, would say that, that if I thought something was wrong, uh, I wouldn't sleep till it got right. And to put a slant on something like that is, is very disrespectful, I think. so. And I've said from the very beginning, and I'll, I'll say it here on camera, that I don't blame Miss Smith. If that was my child, I would do the same exact thing. I'd try my best to do whatever I could find out because I have one child, and, and uh, if something happened to him, I'd be just like her. So I'm, I'm sincere when I say that, but I just probably went and went about it the way she did with some of it. You mentioned press statements that you have made. Yes. Um, such as the ones that you've repeated today. Approximately how many times have you spoken to the press? They're in your uh, discovery, or not discovery, uh, public records. They're in there of what I've made. Okay, let's see. A couple copies. I'll show you and just ask a couple questions about these to verify. This is a transcript of one press statement that I have seen dated January 4th, 2018. Does this appear to be a transcript of your statement? Yes, it is. Do you recall making these statements? Yes, I do. Um, would you read the first paragraph for me, please, for the record? Uh, it says, in the last few months, District Attorney General Bryant Dunaway and I have talked about reopening Lauren Agee case, I'm sorry, reopening the Lauren Agee case for review. Neither the DeKalb County Sheriff's Department nor the District Attorney's General's Office have obtained any factual information about the case since the case was closed as an accident. Thank you. And is that an accurate record of what you stated in January? Yes. And it's still an accurate record today. Approximately how frequently have you spoken to District Attorney General Bryant Dunaway regarding this case? Uh, we talked about it, uh, about opening the case uh, back up. About opening the case back up. When? Well, before that date, uh, before January, the end of last year. Uh, we had talked about it because uh, we w the, the concern was that there was no new information on it, and uh, 
I don't know why we would open up a case without new uh, evidence uh, that was there just to open a case. And we discussed uh, uh, letting somebody review it, uh, which was uh, did happen. The TBI did review the case file and see what their opinion of it was. So, I mean, there was just different talks about that, you know. So approximately how regularly did you and District Attorney General Bryant Dunaway talk about the possibility of reopening the case prior to this statement? How, how far, frequently? How many times did y'all meet uh, and talk? A couple times. A couple, two three, three times. Two or three mm-hmm. times. And approximately when did those two or three conversations take place? Probably in the latter part of 2017. Okay. I, I, I can't give you a... That's fair. Uh, a date on it. Were they by phone, text message, in person, email? No, uh, they were by phone. Okay. Oh, or maybe even face-to-face. Okay. Yeah. Was anyone else present when you had those communications? No. You mentioned that the decision was made to have TBI review the case file. Is that true? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who made that decision? To let them do it? Yes. It was a joint decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. And which individuals at the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations conducted that follow-up review? He, he did that. You would have to ask General Dunaway that. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he's the one that had the call uh, for that to happen. Okay. I, I don't. They could review it for me, but uh, he's the district attorney that asked the TBI for investigation. So, Did you ever have any communications with anyone from TBI during their review of your file? Not that I can recall. How about? Th- that reviewed for the DA, that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. yes no, that I re- not that I recall. Have you ever had any communications with anyone from TBI regarding this case? Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't. Asked a question like that of when it's been all over 2020 and everywhere else because everybody has something to say about it. So I don't know. I'm just asking if you had communications with individuals from the TBI about this case. That they've seen it on TV, yes. No, no. I I want to know if you personally spoke face-to-face or by phone or oh, uh, to, to like reopen or anything? Is that, or Regarding anything having to do with this case, if you well, talk to people from TBI about this case. Well, there there you go. That's what I'm saying on uh, what has been on TV. I'm sure I've said something to some of them. Or they've said it, asked me a question about the case or something like that. So I, I'm sure that has happened. Do you remember who you talked to at TBI? No, you you don't understand where I'm coming from with that. When when you put when you have a county of nineteen thousand and you put that county on national news as, as something that has gone wrong, then it stirs every county around us that that uh, as far as police departments, uh, sheriff's departments, uh, other th- that want to ask questions. So to say that I've not talked to anybody about that, I, I don't know. I could say that in good faith, because I'm sure I have. I'm sure somebody's asked me about it. Do you remember the last time someone uh, from TBI asked you questions about this case? No. Do you it's recall? Been any- a long, it's been a long time. Do you recall anything about the substance of your communications with folks about this case from TBI? 
No. Okay. No, it would just been in a, a general conversation. It wouldn't be investigative stuff with them. Okay. I've never talked to nobody that I know of from TBI that about the investigation part of the case. It was just about the accusations that was on on the the news stuff. Back to your press statement. Would you please read paragraph two, beginning with "I have not only." Yep. I have not only agreed with the reopening uh, the case for review, I have encouraged it. My department has already and will continue to give any available resources that my department has to the District Attorney General's Office, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and any other local, state, and federal departments who wants to look into this incident, but not only looking into this incident, but any incident my department investigates. It states here that you agreed with reopening the case and encouraged it. Yes. Why did you feel that way when you made this statement? Or is this a true statement? Yes, this is a true statement. Okay. Why did you uh, agree that it should be reopened? On, on, on the beginning, I'll go back and say again, on the beginning of it, I wasn't for sure that if we needed to do that because of there was no information that had came from anybody, uh, uh, Ms. Smith, uh, uh, anybody that we had, there was no no information come. So I I hesitated on the beginning because I thought, well, if we open this, then everybody that comes after that that doesn't agree with what we say, then we'll have to reopen every one of them. So, uh, but as things went on and uh, uh, we, uh, the district attorney and I, I told him I was ready to put it to rest if it, it took reopening and I, I was ready to do it because I'm still confident in what had happened for what information I had at that time and that I still do today because I don't have any any more information then than or now than I did then. So So you saw reopening as a step towards putting this to rest. To, put, to closure, yeah, to what whatever anybody had that uh, uh, Miss Smith or anybody else had that was in, she wanted to tell him. I guess she could have told him what she wanted to tell him. What steps did your office take between its initial decision in September of 2015 to close this case and January 4th of 2018 to potentially reopen it? What steps did your office take to seek new information? other than making yourselves available for statements from Ms. Smith? Uh, we, uh, back when, uh, I was trying to think of, I can't think of Lauren's dad's name. Brian. Brian, yes. Uh, he and Mr. Smith came for a sit-down talk. It's what it was supposed to be, and that's what, uh, I, I don't know if, uh, Jeremy had talked to Miss Smith or Mr. Smith to tell them that we would answer any questions that they had or anything for a sit down uh, the day that we were going to give her stuff back to them. And uh, Brian uh, and uh, Mr. Smith came and didn't have any questions. We asked them if they had any questions, and they said no, and they just wanted her stuff, and they left. So, I mean... So you made yourselves available for conversations. Yes. You made yourselves available to receive emails. Yes. Gave your number, made yourselves available to receive text messages and calls. But did your office take any affirmative steps to investigate new leads, 
to find new leads? Well, there was no, we don't know of any new leads. Did you take any additional steps to investigate why the officer from White County thought that one of the male individuals present on the boat with Jeremy Taylor was acting funny? Uh, you would have to ask Detective Taylor that. I know there was a there was a pretty good gap in between there. He might have went back and talked to whichever one that was or or whatever. I don't know. So you didn't take any steps to further nope. investigate that officer's testimony? Nope. Did you make any steps or take any action to interview any witnesses after the case was initially closed and there was talk of it potentially being reopened? The only thing that, this is the only thing I've done is went and talked to uh, the young lady, Miss Smith, the White County officer, um, then I was there when uh, Mr. Smith and Brian came and pick it, picked up the belongings. I called the medical examiner to see what her blood alcohol content was because I thought that's what it was on the report, but I wanted somebody to tell me because I think it was in milliliters or something. And I went with Chief Deputy Robert Patrick to take a picture of a boat the only thing I've had that I can recollect that I've had to do with any of it. Was there any new detective assigned to the investigation prior to its potential reopening? No. Why? Because why it not? wasn't, we hadn't done anything, haven't gotten any information or uh, the district attorney had the TBI to reopen it, not us. But the TBI didn't reopen it. They reviewed what you'd already done, right? I'm sorry, done, right? review, review. So the TBI reviews what you've done, but you don't do anything in addition to what you've already done in substance. Right. If something new came up, then yes, I assure you we would look into it and see see what it was. We'll mark this as Exhibit 2. Okay. Have you reviewed the medical examiner's report in this case? Yes. Okay, we might get to that in a second. Let me show you another document, see if you recognize this. Do you recognize this transcript? Yes. What is it? It's a news release. And approximately when did this news release take place? March the 13th, 2017. Are these your words? Yes. And does this appear to be an accurate version, copy of what you released to the news? Yes. Why did you feel the need to make a news release in March of 2017? Because uh, Fox 17 News kept running things that were making things appear one way, which was the wrong way. And how? what is the basis for your conclusion that Fox News was skewing the information? People talking about it and him putting people on there, uh, telling things that wasn't true and doing... Uh, 
scenarios of things that wasn't true. How? Tell me about the scenarios that you saw. Of the dummies, them throwing the dummies off the cliff. Okay, so Fox 17 did a news report about uh, someone throwing dummies off of the cliff. Yep. I'm just going to presume you're talking about to reenact. Yes. The scenario of Lauren accidentally falling from the location where she's believed to have fallen and died. Yes. And why do you conclude that that couldn't have been true? Because they don't know where she fell off at. Do you know where she fell off? No. How do you know that they don't, that the the, the individuals throwing the dummy off were inaccurate? Because they don't know that that's where she fell off. Uh, where, Where that happened at is very close to my house. Uh, right across from there is a uh, boat ramp uh, that I've used all my life. Uh, I know where that is. I, I know how narrow and long that it goes uh, back in there. So to say that they knew exactly where she fell off would be a false statement to them because they have no idea. They're like me. They have no idea. The only thing I have are the facts of what has happened to know that she suffered a fall. And that's all they have, too. How do you know that Lauren Agee suffered a fall? By the autopsy. The autopsy report we'll get to in just a second. Let's mark this Exhibit 3. Um, (coughs) um, You say the autopsy report allows you to draw the conclusion that she suffered a fall. That's correct. In particular, as compared to um, any other form of blunt force trauma, which might have caused her death. That's correct. Okay. Back to this press release. It states that the incident was reported. Can can I have mine back? I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. It states that the incident was reported on July 26, 2015. Um, why did you feel it was important to disclose herein that the autopsy toxicology results document her blood alcohol level being twice the legal limit? Because that's what it was. But I'm asking... All all these in here are facts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to say again. I want to read the last statement, let you read the last thing that's in the first paragraph. And when when you go out and and, uh, slander my department about something, then I'm going I'm going to try to straighten it back up. And and that's these are the facts of the case, not what somebody said, not what somebody done. Those are the facts of the case. So did you at any time? employ anyone to conduct a reenactment of the alleged fall? No. Why? Because we do not know where she fell off at. Based on the Ferrier Files report on someone conducting an investigation of their believed position of the fall, do you know? That's exactly right. Their belief, (laughs) there's nobody going to know that. Right, but the conclusion of their investigation was that she couldn't have fallen from the spot that they chose and, and landed where she was found, right? I would assume. Would no. that not 
account in your book as new evidence or new information that you could use to reopen the case and to conduct your own reenactment of no. where you believe she might have fallen or other places to show that it's possible that she could have fallen accidentally and landed where she was I, found. I'm on, I could go right across from where they done that on the other side and make what happened go right along with that autopsy report. But you didn't. Because I don't know that's where she failed, so why? But my question to you, which you didn't answer yet, is whether or not this reenactment counts in your book as new information that you could use no. to find out whether this was truly an accident. No. no. Why does this not count as new information? Because nobody, nobody knows where that point was of where she fell off. Uh, if you're asking me where they have picked out uh, if she could have fell off there or not. I mean, she could have failed. I don't know it would have done as much damage uh, to her as the autopsy report. I don't know that. but uh, So your conclusion is that she definitely fell. Is that correct? That's correct. I believe that. Based on the evidence that you have in the case file and the investigative report, is it possible at all that she could have died by other means and not by an accident? Uh, by the facts of the case that I have, yes. uh, uh, as far as what the detective has done and what the autopsy and toxicology reports are, yes, I believe she failed. Right, but my question was, is it possible that she could have died by other means other than an accidental fall? I see that the conclusion is that she fell, but do what? you believe that the evidence allows for the room for possibility that there, she could have died from other means? I only have the facts that I can go off of, and those facts are what the report is and, uh, of the autopsy and what the investigation is. I do not see that noted in the autopsy report of, of someone who does uh, specializes in causes of death that says that in there, uh, other than the possibility of drowning, I think, was on there, too, or something like that. I'd have to look at the report to say that, a secondary to it or something. Did you ever go and visit the campsite where Lauren and her no. friends were saying that? So have you seen the campsite in person at all with respect to this investigation? I've, I know where it's at because I've grew up my whole life down uh, where I live, so uh, that's not far from where I live. But I've not, never in my life got up there, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. I just drive by it. I fish by it sometimes. Have you reviewed the medical examiner's report in this case? Yes. Does this appear to be a copy of the medical examiner's report? Yes. 
at line 18 on page 3. Um, I see that it says contributory cause of death, possible drowning. Is that correct? Uh, where? Line 18 on page 3. Yes. And above that, I see cause of death, blunt trauma to head and back. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and then at the uh, line 19, it says manner of death accident. Is that correct? Yes. Um, in your experience as sheriff, is it fair to say that the manner of death is a conclusion drawn based on the evidence? I'm trying to understand if this report to you represents. This is what the pathologist seen in his investigation that ruled the manner of death. Multiple bl blunt force injuries is the, is the cause of the death. Multiple blunt force injuries on page four, it says pathological diagnosis, blunt force injuries to the head, abrasion to the right side of the forehead, tan abrasion of the lip. Tan. Tan. Blunt trauma to the torso, multiple abrasions and contusions. It, it says on page five at the top, cause of death, multiple blunt force injuries, and possibly drowning. Is that accurate? An accurate reflection of what you see in this medical examiner report? Yes. And is this what your office used to draw the conclusion that Miss Ag died as a result of an accidental falling? No. What did you use to make that conclusion? The autopsy, uh, along with what the detective had found out through his case, is what determined that. Are there any particulars about what the detective found out in his case that you relied on to no. draw the conclusion? I don't. You would have to talk to the detective about that. All right, we'll mark this as Exhibit 4. And I will say it's just not the the uh, report itself, also with the pictures that was uh, taken that you have been supplied a copy of also. Have you reviewed any of the witness statements in this case? Yes. Okay. Anything stand out to you about the witness statements as inconsistent or a basis for taking further investigation, uh, investigative steps. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've read them. Not at that time. We will get back to Sheriff Patrick Ray's fascinating deposition in just a second. I want to take a moment and thank Ryan Ryder of Triple R Investigations out of Hearst, Texas, for his assistance in a case using his 3D scanning machine called Faro. Ryan is able to do a recreation, reconstruction of a crime scene or crash. If you're looking for this kind of expertise, reach out to Ryan at 816. Seven nine zero five nine seven seven nine, or go online and look up triplerinvestigations.com. Let's get back to the most fascinating deposition with Sheriff Patrick Gray. Uh, does this look like a copy of what you reviewed in terms of voluntary written witness statements for this case?
Yes. Do you recall uh, ever speaking with or interviewing in person Cassie Franks? No. Recall ever speaking with? I, I didn't speak to anyone in here other than Hannah Palmer. Th- th- who I believe to be Hannah Palmer. Okay. Yes. Let's go to Hannah Palmer's statement then. It would be on page one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a moment to read what she's written here. Are you going to ask me if she said anything different? The night that I talked to her, is that maybe I I, I don't see I, I I talked to her dad more than I talked to her. Uh, Detective Taylor talked to her, so I don't ha- have any knowledge of anything that she said or we even talked about there. Okay. O- other than she was upset, I, I remember see. that that her and her mom and dad were upset. But would you take okay, just a I'll, quick I'll, moment I'll to read it read and then? It. Okay. Do you recall, does this bring to your recollection any details about the conversation you had with Hannah's dad? No. Okay. Thank you. We'll mark this as exhibit five. To your knowledge, was there a lie detector test conducted on any of the witnesses or parties to the lawsuit? No. And do you have any information or understanding about why that was not done? It would be secondhand. Tell me what you know about the lie detector issue. Uh, I know that Detective Taylor told me that he tried to get one done, but everybody that he talked to said that it might not be a true, uh, or not a true test, uh, a a good test because of uh, something uh, about emotions and stuff like that will might affect the the test. Have you ever used lie detector tests in death investigations? Not that I can recall. I don't know. Is that something your office oh, yes. encourages uh, yes, or I uses? Have. Yeah, yes, I have in my career. Do you find them to be useful to provide additional information or clarify? They're, you can't use them in court. I mean, it just tells you if if you're on the right track, I guess, or not. Okay, so you find them to be useful to help you build your investigation. Yes. Do you think it would have been useful in this case? It, if... They would have worked. It would. I don't know if the ones. I don't know who he talked to or, or whatever. That's what he told me that they said that they would show deception or might not show deception if if uh, they were upset or something. I can't remember. There was something wrong why he couldn't. Because to my knowledge, he agreed. Uh, he agreed. He asked, and they agreed to take them. So did you ever give? Permission or authority to have the lie detectors oh, yeah. conducted? I, I okay. would have been all right with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, did you ever follow up with Detective Taylor about why the tests were not conducted? Yeah, that's what he told me. That okay. the the uh, I think he asked more than one uh, to to do, it, and some of them didn't want to do it. Uh, I think because it wasn't a criminal case or something that they didn't see a need to do them because they wouldn't something. I, I don't remember what's what your, it was. Mm-hmm. What's your understanding about who raised the objection about the test's validity? I don't know. You don't know. Okay. And did you encourage Detective Taylor to persist in seeking to obtain a lie detective? Oh, he did that test? on his own. But did you ever encourage him to keep trying on it? No, because he was trying to call to find people to, to do them. 
Okay. I, I think he had done one maybe on somebody else that he knew that somebody had done polygraphs on, so or conducted polygraphs, and he was going to try to get a hold of them. I think he did. Do you know the name of that person? I do not. What is the name of the contractor that your office typically uses for polygraphs? Uh, we go through TBI or somebody. Okay. Would would the TBI ever have reason I, to object to issuance of a polygraph? I think they rejected him. And why do you think that is? Because I don't know if it was because of that reason or not. All right. I, I just, if, if I know Jeremy, like I know I uh, think I know him, then I think that would have been his first place to go would have been the TBI to try to get a, that would have been mine, uh, and that would have been most of the detectives there because that is their assistant agency if we need anything done. When you spoke with TBI, I'm sorry, when you spoke with General... Dunaway. Dunaway, thank you, about potentially reopening the case, yes. did you discuss the potential of revisiting polygraphs? Uh, no, that's not... We didn't talk about things like that, uh, um, reopening the case. It was just that if we were going to do it or not is what we had discussed at that time. Right, but... And he, we were mm-hmm. trying to find reasons too, I'll, I'll be honest with you, to, to reopen or to review, have the review or reopen or whatever to that because of uh, we just didn't have no new information. Right. Do you think you might have gotten new information by conducting the polygraphs? Oh, I don't. I, can, I can't answer that part there because I, I know nothing about polygraphs. If there's a chance of them being false, that, that would show... Uh, show uh, a negative when it was supposed to show a positive, then I wouldn't trust I wouldn't trust the test. So I would say no, you know, if if there's a reason for that. I wouldn't want to do a... I know uh, you can't be on certain medications when you do uh, a polygraph. So I wouldn't want to polygraph somebody that was on those medications if I knew it in the beginning. So if there was a good chance that they're going to show a... a a false positive or whatever, whatever they are, or a deception on there when there might not be. No, I would not use them. And when you were considering reopening the case and looking for new information to help you have a reason to reopen the case, did you initiate any new lab tests such as no DNA testing of evidence collected at the scene? No. Was there any evidence collected at the scene? Yes. What? Uh... There is a receipt, I think, of what was uh, taken in your packets. I apologize that this is double-sided, okay. but I will hand you a copy of what appears to be the receipt of Miss Ag's belongings. Does this reflect yes. what you're referring to? Yes. And is this an accurate copy of what your office Now, provided? I notice my signature is not, I don't know which one you're on, but on the back one there with the G, I was not there at that time. So. Okay. Does this appear to be what but, you've reviewed in preparation for today? Uh, no, I didn't look at this. Okay. Is there anything about this that looks... 
inaccurate based on your knowledge of this case and this investigation? No, I signed this receipt. Okay. So this is the receipt for Miss Agee's belongings, and it reads iPhone 6, brown purse with personal belongings, large overnight bag with clothing and personal belongings, another iPhone, Lauren Agee driver license, evidence bag of jewelry. Is that correct? Yes. Was there any other evidence collected at the scene that's not on this receipt? I can't answer that. To your knowledge, was there any other evidence that your office possessed or reviewed? You don't. Not that I know of. Okay. And I know nothing about the, what is that, Jeep, I guess, 2014 Jeep. I wasn't there. I think that was at the scene. I'm pretty sure. To your knowledge, was there any DNA or blood testing done on Miss A.G. at the scene? Oh, no. Is that consistent with the steps you would take in a death investigation? Yes. You would not take DNA or blood? No. Evidence? Why? Why not? Are you talking about from her body? Is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. No. Uh, that would be the pathologist or somebody like that that would do that. Alrighty, but... Um, is it, is it consistent with your knowledge of death investigations that the pathologist or somebody like that would not collect such evidence? Uh, if, if I know they're, through my experience, uh, usually there's some sort of uh, communication between the pathologist and the uh, requesting agency or officer if something looks to be wrong or if... Uh, if it was a, if they had had found something on Lauren's body, such as a gunshot wound or a knife wound or or something like that, I think that uh, it's been my my experience that they will contact you and tell you, hey, this is something's wrong. So it's the job of the detective on the case to direct such collection of evidence if the detective ascertains a reason to, to suspect go get it. foul play. Yes. If it was like a, you, you talk about DNA, uh, like a rape kit or, or some other blood exactly. on her that the pathologist thought uh, might be under her fingernails or exactly. something. Yes. All right. Yes. Now, in this case, after the rumors that you heard, um, the information about emails to Ms. Smith, the suspicion based on the officer from White County, and then the Farrier Files investigation of the alleged fall. Um, did you find that at the point, January 2018, when you were considering reopening the case, it would have been helpful to have had DNA testing, rape kits, blood tests to, to review in your consideration of whether or not to reopen the case? On the type of injuries that she had that was a cause of death, we would not do a rape kit, DNA kit, unless there was something there to that set outside of those parameters of what the pathologist told us. If, if he says she's been raped, then yes, we would go do one, but on... How would the pathologist I, know that she's been raped without conducting a rape kit? Did you not just testify that it's up to the directing officer to request such 
Yes. Collection of evidence. But we would not do that on uh, an accidental fall. But how can you conclude that it's an accidental fall until you've completed your investigation? By what the pathologist told uh, the detective. If the if he says if he tells the detective she, she'd been raped or she had a gunshot wound or, or or something like that, that would change the course of what we would do in the investigation. And that's with any investigation. If uh, in a traffic fatality, if there's an autopsy done, we had one done uh, a couple of weeks ago. We wouldn't do a rape kit on somebody for that. But you see how this is sort of a circular argument. You say that if the pathologist concludes it's an accident. Well, it's, wait, wait, let me finish my okay. question if you don't mind. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to understand what triggers your office to conduct further investigation. So you testified that if the pathologist concludes it's an accident, not a rape, then the directing officer does not request a rape kit or DNA evidence. But if the requesting officer doesn't direct collection of such evidence, then the pathologist doesn't have additional evidence to use to make certain conclusions. He, he is going to know. Uh, the pathologist should know if something is outside the norm of what the person was sent down there for. Uh, he's going to know, probably know if she was raped. I mean, he's he's looking. I don't know if you've ever sat through an autopsy, but he's looking at the inside of organs. So he he's going to know if something is out of the norm for what he thinks the cause of death is. And I don't know. Well, yeah, I do know where he's uh, by the pictures that where he started on his investigation at. I can tell by uh, the pictures of where he done his first cuts. So what, is it fair to say that you and um, Jeremy Taylor relied in large part on what the pathologist told you? Uh, well, not only that, of, of, of what the whole case that, that he had worked on up to that point, yes, and the pathologist. Tell me yeah. what you mean when you say the whole case. Uh, his interviews that he done, uh, what determination he made through, and then what determination that the uh, pathologist made, and the determination of what the uh, district attorney uh, that he talked to. So a determination said. is a conclusion, is it not? Yes. So what facts or evidence did your office rely on to draw the determinations, to draw the conclusion that this was an accident besides the interviews? The autopsy also. Autopsy, interview, what else? That would probably okay. be the main points, that's all. You didn't do the reenactment with a dummy. No. You didn't find that to be useful. No, and I still don't find that <laughs> to be useful. And you still don't find it to yes. have been useful, even after there's been the allegation that this wasn't an accidental fall and that Lauren's friends were involved in causing her blunt force trauma, which led to her death. See, th th that is real concerning to me, that, that a mother who thinks that something has happened to her daughter has not contacted the sheriff or the district attorney to tell them what information they had for that. I could tell down there the night that I first met her 
that she did not like Detective Taylor. And I know, I think I know the reason that she didn't like him because he did not tell her everything that he was doing because of in fear that she would do right what she done about going and trying to investigate things herself instead of letting the department uh, investigate those. So I think that is, that is where the problem with Miss Smith started at. But now, I mean, I'm going to go back and say, I do not blame Miss Smith for doing everything she can do because if it was my child, I would do the same thing. I just don't know if I would do it in the manner that she done it. Right. And your office encouraged Miss Smith to bring facts and evidence. Yes. And said that you would reopen the case if there were new facts and evidence, but not until or unless there were new facts or evidence. Yes. And your office concluded that it wasn't necessary or important to do a dummy reenactment. Yes. And so if Miss Smith wanted to see that done, she would have to basically do it on her own. Yes, but she don't got to put it on national TV. So see, the issue you have that, is with the media portrayal. See, see what, where, where we have problems with that, if, if anything that we have to go back and reopen... I'm afraid what they have seen on TV contaminates anything that we ever try to do because some of that stuff that that uh, that is on that zip drive, Jeremy told me that some of it was true that what was said, but it was taken out of contents of what really happened to make it look, to her, it probably looks like that. Or somebody told somebody that told somebody. See, that's where... The the rumor took over the the facts, I guess. So now that that has happened and uh, uh, people uh, see that on TV, then yes, I think it contaminates her case very bad. What steps did your office take to preserve the scene of this death or evidence that could have been collected in connection to your investigation? I was not there for the scene. I know that they, well, I don't, they'll have to testify to what they done. I wasn't there at the scene. Uh, what was here was inner evidence, and I don't know anything else to tell you about it. We will mark the receipt as the next sequential exhibit number. Exhibit number six. Are there ever times in which your officers um, receive notes in their personnel file for conduct on the job? Yes. What are the circumstances that might rise to the level of getting a note in the personnel file? If someone sends a letter up there to, to brag on them or something, then most of the time I'll put that in their file or Positive. any kind of conduct that they have uh, as far as discipline goes in their file. Okay. Um, I've got a copy of the personnel file that you shared with our firm mm -hmm. for Jeremy Taylor. And I just want you to verify that this is a complete and accurate copy of the file. I'll give you a moment to flip through this. Yes, it appears to be what was, what is in his personnel file. Okay. I sent you. Um, other than forms that he signed, 
at his hire. Is there anything in this file that reflects a positive accolade from the public? You mentioned earlier that folks might get a copy of a compliment or certificate. No. Any complaints? That, that doesn't mean, though, that, that he didn't that, receive that, that people hasn't said something to me. They just didn't send it in a letter form. I understand. I'm going to skip to the end. Second to last page. Yes. Contains a statement dated April 24th, 2016, with your name at the top. Do you recall? I do. This statement. And do you recall placing Mr. Taylor on leave for three days without pay for? Uh, facial hair and for ordering a pizza and coming in without proper attire. No, no. I, I wrote the. I gave him the three days off because he did not dress for work appropriately and not shaven. Okay. Uh, there was nothing. The pizza. It was just in there to Give say, context. say say he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. He should have changed clothes, I guess. It's, because he had time to order the pizza. Yeah, right. Yes, it's not the, for ordering the pizza. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> Is this a problem that you'd had with uh, Officer Detective Taylor in the past? Not uh, shaving. He, he, he did have a uh, warning, I think, or verbal one by Chief Deputy uh, Adamson, which I think is the other page, on 12... 17, 2015. All right. We will mark this as Exhibit 7. If, for example, Detective Taylor had inadequately investigated a case, would that have been something that you would document in his personnel file? Yes. Okay. To your recollection, are there any other issues that you've had with Detective Taylor when he was on the job at DeKalb County that you did not put in his personal file? No. Okay. Other other than the verbals. Um, there was probably a verbal before the unshaven thing uh, that is in there, just day-to-day -day stuff. Okay. Yes. I have nothing further. No questions. Stephanie, do you have any questions? No, I do not. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to go off the record. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank I was you. under 25 minutes. This concludes the video deposition of Patrick Ray. The time is 12.26 p.m. and we are officially off the record. Lauren's family gives their full permission for any and all details to be shared in hope that the truth will come out. If you know anything at all, call 1-888-599-0008 or email tips at sheilawysaki.com. Next time on Without Warning. Okay, did you ever do anything to determine whether or not someone could have fallen and ended up in the water where Lauren eventually was found? No, because I didn't know where to, to, that she failed. And you did nothing to investigate that fact, did you? No, I didn't. 
without warning. Host executive director and executive producer, Sheila Wysocki. Producers, Katie Zitzman and Aaron Parker. Editors, Katie Zitzman and Aaron Parker. Mixing and mastering by Resonate Recordings. Narrator, Tim Evans. Thank you for listening to Without Warning. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a quick review to help others discover it too. If you or someone you know knows something about this case or the people involved, you can submit tips by emailing tips at shilawaisaki.com.